Guys, what are we supposed to do this episode about? Nothing has happened in Magic or Modern in months. This the March doldrums have truly set in. We've already exhausted all available Neon Dynasty content, and Modern is already stale, so... I'm not even sure why we showed up to this recording without a real proper plan for the episode. I'm just going to type into the internet, what's going on in Magic right now? What?! Hello and welcome to episode 164 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, I'm, I'm so glad that there's something for us to talk about this week because I came here fully planning to do a lot of like basketball metaphors. And I, I'm glad I didn't have to, to like, you know, really stretch that thin because I don't know that much about college basketball. Yeah, I was kind of just hoping we were going to do our official The Batman Reaction for our episode. The bat Batractions? <laughs> I mean, The Batman The Batman was surprisingly good. We should do our just our, our uh, blank check emulation bonus episode one of these days, Stan. Also with us, The Godfather, Dave Harbarger. <laughs> You know, you know how I feel right now. Boys to men. Everybody. It's the end of the road. Not for us, but for some very, very special person that's held a place in our hearts for a long time. And I don't mean Stan. H- has it been has it been two years with Luris? Is that really what it's been? Pretty much. I mean, I think that, that Ikoria came out in I, I believe that Ikoria was spoiled at the very end of March. 2020 because i remember really clearly uh it being very early in the pandemic and watching the spoiler episode at home with my two screaming children while i was trying to make a conference call all at the same time and uh, and being like oh my god i can't believe this companion mechanic you just cast them from your sideboard they hated companions too they were screaming about them yeah they were not happy they were like these aren't interesting only three of them are playable and one of them is Garuda. That's right. Somehow we managed to time it well this week. In fact, we planned a whole other episode. And now we're going to scrap it entirely to react to the first piece of good news of 2022. Wow. Early take from you there, Stan. <laughs> I mean, we, we planned, we had like a series of episodes planned. And I'm curious if we can get that back on track next week. But for this week... I'll tell you what, I'm really happy that we have one of our patent-pending emergency reactisodes. That's right. They really gone done did it. Luris of the Dream Den band in Modern and Pioneer. Yeah, and really the best part about this is that we'll no longer have to go back and correct Google's autocorrection in our notes every time we try to type Luris and it autocorrects it to lupus. Every time, no matter how many episodes <laughs> we write about Luris in it, no matter how many times we write Luris in a single document, you have to correct it at least three times back to the word Luris. Am I right? Truly, truly a blessed day. I agree. I mean, I'm going to save so much time by not having to do that that I'll be able to eat a small sandwich probably with the accumulated time saved. You know who we have to thank for this? Secretly, not so secret anymore, my seven-month-old child who ate some egg and had a bad reaction and 
I was like, guys, I got to take my kid to the doctor. I don't think I can record on Sunday. Can we push it to Monday? That's a great point, actually, that your little your little kid saved us from having to re-record an entire episode, uh, because that's what, what would happen. We are recording Monday instead of Sunday. We are going to try to get this episode out as fast as possible. Hopefully, that means Tuesday afternoon at some point in time to give you the uh, reaction to what's maybe one of the most significant bands in modern in a long time anyway. And we'll, we'll scale that size that compare that in only the way that we can. Yeah. I would even posit the most anticipated band since Uro, mm. which was in the last band announcement. And I think it's more impactful than Uro's band, but let's find out as we dissect wow. the news today. Before all of that, let's jump into housekeeping. By the way, Luris was banned in modern and pioneer. I don't think we said that quite yet. I, I said it, Dave. It, it was modern and pioneer. I made that clear. Not historic. Okay. Or standard. I think it rotated out of standard. Newest patrons to join the Dive Down Nation. Blue Cheese returns. Great to see you again, Cheese. Also, MTG Grindcast sub to us, which is awesome because we spent the whole weekend telling all of our patrons to listen to the most recent episode of Grindcast featuring Dom Harvey. And you, the listener, should check it out as well. It is awesome. Also... Joey P from Yo MTG Taps joins this Dive Down Nation. That's very cool. The true godfather of magic podcasting. As I've mentioned before, Joey Pasco, Yo MTG Taps, a show that I remember listening to. I really think I listened to it in like 2010, probably. And this cross pod synergy is ex- extremely good right now. So thanks everyone uh, for joining up. We also got Andrew D, right? So thank you all you new citizens. Uh, you know what's funny is Grindcast gets a twofer. They join as CCR and Lee. So they just, you know, they can they both can show up. I don't care. They can I want, I want them both in there. So thank you for joining everyone. We have no increased tiers no new reviews this week so if you have some time you want to leave us a note about how much you love us or you want us to improve as a podcast go to your apple podcast app or into spotify you can drop us some stars there we appreciate that makes it easier for people to find us if you want to join the patreon if you want to become a citizen of the dive down nation head on over to patreon.com slash the dive down all one word and uh you know, feel free to throw a bucket us a week. That gets you into the definitively discreet dive down Discord. You can talk with all of your favorite folks like MTG Grandcast hosts, like Yo MTG Taps hosts, like Andrew D. Maybe you know Andrew D. Just want to hang out with him or them. So we appreciate uh, all y'all and get some nice swag stuff sent your way if you go higher than a, but higher than a dollar. So you know all about it. We got a lot of other things to talk about today. So I'm going to take us right through. Manatraders.com, our sponsor. If you would like to rent cards on Magic Online, because maybe you want to brew some stuff now that you think there's more space. I don't know why you would think there was more space in Modern right now or Pioneer right now than there was 24 slim hours ago. Go to Manatraders.com, sign up for an account. If it's your first time signing up for an account, you can use code THEDIVEDOWN2022 to get 15% off your first two months of Magic rental cards, and we will for, be forever grateful for you for that. Manatraders.com, thank you very much. All right, with all that out of the way, let's break down this ban announcement published on March 7th. A surprise announcement. No one saw it coming. Except maybe a few need-to-know people within the halls <laughs> of Renton, Washington. The person who updates their uh, their web content management system. Yeah, their CMS. D- 
Did we have one of those early alert systems where like Robert Taylor, you know, fire shoes or somebody noticed that this URL had a, had something parked on it before this happened? Or I don't think we did see one of those early, nope. early alert tweets. Well, for us, it's like the Mickey S alert system, because I feel like his finger is constantly on the pulse of this kind of stuff and, and he didn't have it. So if by pulse, you mean F5 button, right? That's, ref- <laughs> that's refresh, isn't it? I don't know. I use a Mac. I don't have any Fs on my computer, but um, yeah. So Pioneer, Lurus of the Dream Den is banned. Modern, Lurus of the Dream Den is banned. Popper, some cards that I don't really know what they do are banned. You know Disciple of the Vault we just talked about last week? You know Expedition Map? Yeah. Galvanic Relay is mostly what I was talking about, but um, yep. All right. So they're banned. Are we going to read the full text of these, Stan? Would you like to do that? Yeah. Let's just take a quick second to, to skim over the most important points from this announcement. Uncredited article. Usually we cite Ian Duke or someone else. Unclear who actually wrote this. Maybe everyone contributed a word or two. It's actually in italics just below the announcement. It says, Explanation of Modern and Pioneer Bands provided by Michael Majors. Well-known Magic Online grinder Michael Majors. Yeah, former member of the Game Podcast. That's game. Michael Majors writes, Since the release of Modern Horizons 2, Modern has enjoyed a period of experimentation and exploration, which I think we would agree with in general. Despite that, Luris of the Dream Den has remained a ubiquitous presence in the format across multiple archetypes. Luris's play rate, 31% in Magic Online League's decks that started with four wins. Interesting new metric there. Very. Points to a card that is contributing to the homogenization of the modern play experience. There is not a significant enough deck building cost to incorporate it into a wide variety of strategies. As is often the case in larger non-rotating formats, there are already strong incentives to include as many cheap and efficient cards as possible in your deck due to format speed and a variety of other pressures. Luris compounds those incentives by providing a powerful additional resource that helps to alleviate the weakness of filling your deck with cheaper and often less impactful cards as games go on. I've always said that about Ragavan, not impactful enough. For too many archetypes, Luris isn't a trade-off, but purely additive. You are trading the 15th card in your sideboard. Due to play data, community feedback, and a desire to keep as diverse a range of card options as possible available to players in Modern, Luris of the Dream Den is banned in Modern. All right. Um, Since we have been talking about Pioneer... I'm a, I want to just briefly go through this because they basically say the same thing. But what's different about the Pioneer announcement, we're going to talk mostly, in, if not entirely, about Modern. But I want to talk about their philosophy for Pioneer is to create the most compelling sandbox built from recent standard formats. Okay, so they're just on record saying that. As Pioneer grows over time, incentive of non-rotating formats to pick and choose the most efficient cards will be more pronounced. Luris accelerates that process, uh, preserving diversity of Pioneer. Rather than waiting for the critical mass in which Luris is problematic, it is banned in Pioneer. They said it is less dominant in Pioneer. Only 20% of Magic Online League decks that started with four wins. Uh, so compared to, what, the 31% of Modern. But yeah, they, they basically are saying it's too good for Pioneer. It's 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 not, it's going to mess up their idea of a compelling post-standard sandbox. So let's start with modern, let's say. Well, I, I also think we should talk about the companions overall, because some people are like, well, why not they get rid of companions altogether? Why not Yorian? They basically say Luris' presence in modern and pioneer is large enough for them to act, but the rest of the companions are at a normal play rate. They're in line with a diverse and healthy metagame. Uh, they're going to be continued to monitor monitor them for undesirable and repetitive gameplay and make changes as necessary. So basically they're saying, hey, look, 
we know that you may have wanted just the companion mechanic gone altogether, but we're just going to go with Lurus today. I, I certainly wanted the companion mechanic just gone. I think I, that's kind of where I, I had ended up. We're just banning all of them, but another day we can have that discussion. First things first, gentlemen, are you surprised by the decision? Ignoring the timing and the surprise of the announcement itself, does this decision line up with your expectations and what I feel like is maybe a conversation we've been having every week since January? It's certainly a conversation we had last week for about five minutes, which after all of that uh, Grixis Death Shadow was at the top of all those different tournaments, uh, which was also something we managed to talk about because we had to record late last week. But um, yeah, I, I'm not surprised, no. No. Not really surprised. I just feel like it's been something that's been inevitable almost since we recorded that episode last year where we talked about the five cards that people wanted to see banned in Modern, and Luris was far and away the card that was the most on that list. That would have been August of last year, I think. Is that right? Wow, that long ago. You think that we started the inevitability ball rolling down the hill? I just... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We just we make you know we make waves, and really everybody else rides on them when it comes to magic. Yeah, and so yeah. I'm not surprised. I mean, it just felt like after we had that discussion, it felt like we had a pretty definitive discussion among the three of us, and then we kind of said, "But we'll wait, and time will tell." For personally, there wasn't a moment at since then where I felt like Luris was a card that was okay in the format. I always felt like it was the card that was the biggest center of gravity in the format and eventually those centers of gravity get removed right yeah i actually think that's an interesting point and although we're not going to talk about this week this past weekend's challenge results it was completely the top eights at least were were absent of Grixis shadow and to your point about how luris was never particularly okay i think what we found was that decks were able to compete and maybe answer other specific luris decks but you couldn't really necessarily punish someone for playing Luris, the card, and the type of decks that that card enables. Except maybe Crack. <laughs> <laughs> but didn't but Crack the Earth also had Luris in it, did not? I think that was also a Luris deck. I you know, you live wrong. long enough to yeah. <laughs> see yourself become the villain. Absolutely. So this is the Batman episode, then. Was Which Batman, Batman, though? That, that's from The Dark Knight, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Well... Stan, are you surprised? Did you answer that? I'm not surprised, and I'm delighted, and I'm excited to have this conversation with you guys because something that really dawned on me today is the three of us were never really gung-ho Luris players, even though we've all dabbled with Luris decks. I don't know if Luris decks ever became like our go-to decks. Was kind of my go-to deck at this point in time. I mean, I played Prowess with it. I played prowess with it what do you mean but you've been dabbling with creativity you've been buying into that, like that's been the last Titan. that's been the last six weeks or so i mean i did often go back to decks that had luris in them yeah, even um, doing like sure. some mid-range stuff some mardu and rakdos that's stuff. what i was trying to get at was yeah mardu rakdos was my thing for a while i have shadow sleeved up and though even though i never really feel motivated to play it at, on magic online as i've mentioned before but right well i don't think Anyone out there is probably surprised that Luris finally did eat a ban. But are any of you surprised on the rationale and reasonings provided in this banning announcement? Because I personally am a little bit surprised in, in how they justified the banning, but I want to hear from you two first. I do think this new data point is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because it it's not nothing but it's also kind of nothing because what they're basically saying is like 
a deck that is 4-0 going into match 5. So 4-1 or better. Yeah, a third of the decks that are 4-1 or better were Luris decks, right? And it's like, let's just admit that variance happens and sometimes Luris, a Luris deck isn't going to win. But what they're not actually saying is that Luris decks were like overpowered. It's just that they were overly represented, including in the most successful decks. Yeah, because typically we'd get something like just raw win rate of non-mirror matches, but I know they can't really do that because of the variety of decks that do run Luris. So maybe we're just expecting a little bit too much where it's like, yeah, when it comes to one deck or one condensed archetype, they can be like, yeah, it's non-mirror win rate is 57%. And I I think that's the problem is that they probably didn't have a way to really reconcile non-mirror win rate with a card that's in so many different decks. Right. So what are they going to do? They're just going to say the win rate of all the decks that play Luris is X. And maybe that comes out to be 20, you know, not 20%, but 40% because they're all playing against each other. If you look at them all at that kind of like huge sample rate, I kind of like this, this decks that started with four wins as a piece of data. I think it's an interesting way for them to look at it because it denotes decks that are in contention for trophies, which is something that people care about a lot in leagues. It's so weird that they say started with four wins, though. Like, why not just say like four zero or better or something like that? Like, just started with the four wins seems like a just a clumsy way to just get the point across. Well, you have to acknowledge the positive tilt that happens sometimes when you're like going for the gold and then you fumble. I, I also wonder if they had said four zero, if people would have gotten that confused with prelim results, which these are not right. And prelims are four rounds, so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I almost wish they had just gone for like top 32s of challenges or something like that, like to make it seem like, you know, people sometimes complain that leagues are a little bit too weird or just too varied a metagame. Yeah. One thing that I'm really curious about as well is that I don't think they kind of specifically answered. And and maybe as we go through this episode and look at some actual data that we've collected, that this can help answer the question. But were Luristex actually getting more popular? Was sentiment around them actually changing? Because they do mention sentiment, and I think that's important. And let's not forget, there was a BNR not that long ago. I want to say, what, four or five weeks ago? Where they, not only did they ignore Modern, but afterward, Aaron Forsyth took to Twitter to kind of explain why they didn't make any changes to Modern. And we actually delayed recording one day in order to be ready for this episode then, because we kind of assumed that Luris was going to be banned and five weeks ago. Didn't happen. Yeah. I, I like your point there, Stan. I almost wish that they had just been like, is there been an increase in Luris? Like, is the presence greater since the companion nerf? Like, are we seeing the steady increase of Luris just being a force in the metagame that then impacts the community sentiment? Ever since we said that modern is fine and healthy and we weren't going to change anything, people started to pick up the best decks in the format that all happened to be Luris decks. And for that, we are sorry. I did appreciate... I really think a lot of this had to do with, with the mocks that happened a couple of weeks ago. I think it had to do with Corey Baumeister who was not at the mocks, right? What am I thinking of the tournament that Corey was playing in? It wasn't There was the, mocks, the super right? qualifier, the PTQ thing. That's, that's what it was. It was the super qualifier that happened last week where, where Corey ba- Baumeister was part of that top four that was all Grixis Death Shadows, correct? And then went on Twitter and said, hi, it's time for this to go. As someone who even is profiting from this, it's time for this to go. Um, that seemed like a pretty, for some reason to me, felt like a pretty definitive kind of nail from someone who had been quiet up until that point anyway. I did, though, appreciate the sentiment that 
it's that Watsy says for too many archetypes, Luris isn't a trade-off, mm-hmm. but purely additive. And this is just it's it's very true because as they say in the announcement prior to that, there's just a huge incentive to play cheap good spells because it's generally a good thing to be doing. And the deck building, you know, quote unquote cost of Luris is often just forcing good card selection and deck building habits. This is not an original thought by any means. There's a lot of people who have said that, but in today's modern, it sort of just forces your hand to say, Hey, uh, you need to be playing cheap, efficient, good spells and stop trying to cast Bloodbraid elf. But why not? But that, that, and that's what we've been saying, right? It's like, why not? Why not let us cast potentially not great spells in today's modern? I mean, I think that that's what some of the discussion on the rest of this show and what, what's going to be going on the next few weeks really comes down to because above everything else, Luris defined like a hard floor for casting cost in modern, right? Like you had to have a really good reason to not be bringing Luris into the decks where you could fit it. And have a good plan for that. And now people are going to have to reestablish what that power to cost ratio really is in the format without Luris to enforce some kind of weird card advantage uh, engine floor, ceiling or floor. Ceiling probably, I guess, is what it really is. But um, And I think that's going to be fun, right? And we can talk about that some more later, but I think that's the big thing that goes on from here. Yeah. The last thing I want to mention is they just banned Luris outright when they could have maybe banned it out of the companion zone. You know how they, they've eroded the rule of the companion and maybe just said, you can't play this card as a companion, but put it in your deck. But maybe they had some indication or internal playtesting that indicated that like, if people are casting Luris, it's going to get out of hand. Honestly, I think it's more just too complicated. I wouldn't be surprised if they just felt like that errata of saying, we're just going to get rid of companion as a rule, or we're going to get rid of companion on a single card is just too much overhead for a paper game and instead they're like we're just gonna ban this card because i definitely and i think that we could maybe we should transition here to a little bit of a question that i had which is did they get the right card did they get enough cards in this do we feel like there was anything else we'd want to see to go with loris to kind of balance things out because as i mentioned earlier i think that companion overall is going to continue to be a problem hopefully less of a problem now but it's still going to be a problem in modern and so I kind of wish that they had just gone all the way, like uh, they said that they're monitoring in the announcement and just got rid of that mechanic and just said, yes, you can put all these cards in your deck, but Companion no longer exists. What do you all think about that? Is there something else you would have liked to see? Do you think that this was enough to wait and see? What, what do you feel like? I think this is a good place to start, to be honest. And I actually am glad that they weren't bullish and banned Yurian or the Companion mechanic outright. Because I don't think that Urian is as much of an additive resource as Luris was. Because Urian makes you play 80 card decks. And at least in modern, sideboarding is so important that doing that in Urian decks is actually quite a bit harder. I also bet that, I also bet that they're like they're they're popular and they're good, but I don't think that they're in contention to be the best decks currently. We'll see how that bears out in the future in this new environment. But I kind of like the just going surgical for like the objectively problematic card and then just being iterative from there if they need to. I sort of look at Yorian and Luris as just the two companion pillars. And then 
I see some of the other ones as just kind of annoying consequences of the companion zone. Like where, uh, what is, is Kahira the green white one? Mm-hmm. And it's just where I, where I can just get this as an extra card because my deck fulfills the deck building requirements. And it has value as like a pitch card or just a creature if you really need an expensive creature or something like that. That's kind of annoying. And I kind of do wish that they just ban the mechanic completely because then it just gets rid of that facet of companions that I find a little bit too samey-samey and a little bit too powerful for its, its unintended purpose, where it's like, yeah, Green Tron can certainly run the red-green one. Gigantha. Yeah, <laughs> Gigantha. Uh, and but it's just kind of, it doesn't, it's not like a Tron card. It's just like, hey, here's a creature that I can cast eventually. And I find that sort of just silly and kind of annoying, but I, I get the point of where it's like, it's not breaking anything, but at the same time, it's just like, hey, here's your eighth card. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel similarly to the list that I saw today where people are like, well, we're just going to put Gigantha in Death Shadow now, and that's going to be fine. We'll just have a companion there. It's going to okay. be a 5-5. Five, five I think that's a joke, it. to be I, honest. It, I think it's a little meme sure. I think it's a little meme but like, there's no reason not to. Like, They didn't have to change the construction of the deck at all to make it work, so why not? But, any, but anyway, that's just kind of how I feel about the mechanic. I think it was a badly designed mechanic. It broke magic too much, and now we're just sort of slowly unwinding this one decision that might have been fun. Like, I think it was a fun mechanic. You know, we talked a couple of times about how those first three or four months of Companion Modern, like the beginning of the pandemic, honestly, when everybody was playing Magic Online and everybody was playing Garuda and Luris and Yorian, like, that was a fun game. But yeah. it wasn't really magic. You know, it was a slightly different take on magic for a little bit. And then we've slowly been unwinding and backing away from that. Yeah, what I really want is them to ban the good companions and then revert to the original companion rule so people can play like Zerda decks and Gyruda decks <laughs> because th- those were the real um, casualties of the original companion errata. And yes. that's why we only talk about 2.5 now. I mean, remember we tested Garuda decks. Like I remember, like playing. It was like I think back on that. And that's kind of fun, right? And I think uh, Obosh is probably one of the cards we'll talk about later this episode is as having some perhaps new legs in the format. But I guess I I do want to go back to the concept of Yorian, and I do feel like Yorian does something similar to Luris in that it offers very real inevitability. If you give a deck enough time and and the ability to maintain a board state at all, that when Yorion comes down, that it's going to do so much that the game is effectively gone from you. So it's not something like even Teferi 5 or uh, another powerful Planeswalker like a Jace or a Wandering Emperor or whatever the new 4-mana Walker is, Stan. It's, it's, this is... It's a it's a door slamming nearly completely shut if a if a Yorian comes down and does a decent amount of work for you. Yeah, except that door takes twenty turns to shut and you're going to lose to the clock before it happens. <laughs> like modern is still a proactive format, first and foremost, and Yorian decks are barely proactive. Yeah, I mean, 
We'll see. Yorian is going to be the one of the hot things to talk about right now. A lot of people assume are assuming that four color blink is going to become quote unquote the best deck in the format. Now we'll see. You do, know, do you guys think that that's possible? Seriously, I think it's definitely possible. It's not like that deck was not the best deck in the format when Uro was around. You know, and Field of the Dead and Arkham's Astrolabe. Now, those are very different cards, but that strategy is something that has proven to be good enough to be good and modern, and we might be entering an era where it's good enough again. It's just Omnath is super good. It runs Ragavan as well. It's got a good array of pitch elementals. It's got all the best spells. Like, why, why couldn't that be good? I don't, I don't really want to be in the prediction business here, but there's <laughs> yeah. plenty... There's That's plenty what we're of reasons you to do though. I know, I know. That's what the Patreon's for. I have my Magic Eight Ball <laughs> here, and all, I'm gonna have to get my Magic Eight Ball fixed because all the dice just say Luris and uh, Yorian on them. But I think it's certainly possible that it could happen. Yeah, I, I feel bad kind of using other people's thoughts as my own. So I'm just, I mean, I, I will 100 percent just say I was listening to Spike today as I was working because I just had him on in the background and I wanted to hear his takes and. The, the take that he had, and I think other people would share, is that four-color decks like that already had pretty good Luris deck matchups altogether. And if anyone's going to know that, it'd be him, because he plays a ton of grindy Luris decks. And so I don't know how universal that sentiment is, but I think that the, the take makes sense, which is people may flock to the deck more as they think it's more powerful, uh, but it already was doing pretty darn well against Luris strategies. And so it's not going to have a higher power level and might just sort of become more of a mirror match skill game at that point. But I think what really we want to talk about, I'm sure, is what decks are going to get strength, what cards are going to get strength, how can these decks be uh, tweaked or reformed and perhaps have different streaks of weaknesses than they already do, and then how will that come into play against like a, a four color mid range or four color control type strategy? So like if you're immediately thinking about, Oh, how can I play my uh, three mana Liliana's or my slow to gain uh, value on the board, like Spyros or Bedlam revelers. I'm, I'm just, you know, these are all cards I'm sure we'll talk about. And then I mean, sure. Just, just list all of our specs <laughs> yeah, right out here on Maze the podcast home. right now. Maze, yeah. yeah. Like uh, Karn the Great. <laughs> I mean, like all these cards that might have a, a better home in the slower deck that's playing three and four drops potentially, then yeah, those might get eaten alive. But there's all sorts of decks and ways to build these decks that the loss of Luris may not have any impact whatsoever. So anyway, that's a lot of stuff I'm sure we'll talk about for the next hour and 25 minutes. Yeah, I mean, the, the last big thing there is that a lot of these decks you just said that the loss of Luris might ha not have any effect on them. I think it's too hard for us to know what those effects will be without seeing the way all the other pieces begin to fall, right? A lot of these decks might continue to exist. Some of them existed before Luris, and some, many of them will exist afterwards, but their relative position in the, in the, the metagame can certainly change a lot from where it is right now. And th that's what I think is going to be the thing that's going to be fun to figure out and see what tools people have dropped or never got a chance to play because of Luris that get added into these decks going forward. Given that we're starting to talk about overall power level impact of this, I'd love to get just like a 1 to 10 number from each of you on how impactful this, this ban is on the format and maybe the ban that you think it's the most like in the past. Ooh, because I have some thoughts about what band it's most like. 
I got to go to my favorite, my favorite wiki page, that MTG wiki one that has like all the bands where it's like one every two years and then 2018 hits and that's like 50. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'll go, Stan, what, what do you think about relative impact level of this one to 10? If you're going to say it's definitely over five, I, okay. I think it's probably a six or a seven because of how ubiquitous it is. But I also think that number is going to scale with the different decks. So for instance, burn, I think it's like a two. Yeah. Even though it ran it, it's very low impact yeah. on that deck. Probably. Yeah. Hammer. It might be a six because I, I do agree that hammer will probably still be good, but this is a change. You can play and build your deck a little differently now. I think you're actually incentivized to do that. Yeah. Um, Shadow, I think, is is actually the one that I'm I'm having the hardest time determining because it's really like, do we want to play Yagantha or Obosh, or do we want to play like Street Wraiths and Murktides or some other big card? And I, I think like that's a really open puzzle because that's a mid-range deck that gets to rely on lots of different tools. And that's where you know, it might be a four, but it could be an eight. And Shadow looks really different from now on. Shane, what do you think? So I'm going to put this on par with the 2018 unbanning of Jace and Bloodbraid Elf. I'm going to put it. I'm going to put it on par with that. Maybe slightly above. Interesting. But, but below everything after that. Below. Well, besides Bridge from Below being banned, I'm going to put it below KCI. I'll put it below Hogak and Looting and Stoneforge being unbanned. I'll put it below Oko. I'll put it much below Uro and Mystic Sanctuary. I think that was a hugely changing uh, banning announcement. Uh, yeah, I guess I, what I didn't say is I think this is on the level of Arkham's Astrolabe banning, where it's just kind of like this free tool that gives you a lot of value but decks can potentially still exist without it. Interesting. I kind of think this is like a seven or an eight. And I would, I would put this on the same level as when Faithless Looting was banned in my mind. Wow. And the, the reason I think that that's a parallel there is because there was a whole constellation of decks that weren't really related to each other that were Faithless Looting decks because like you said, it's a powerful tool that people just got to use, but I think that it's more powerful than Astrolabe in that sense, even though it's a similar thing, right? And it, there wasn't necessarily a faithless looting archetype. You know, there was Phoenix and there was Dredge and there's other decks and some of those decks got to continue, but I think that, and some of them died and that might happen again with, with Luris though. I think there's a little less of a chance that decks are going to die from yeah. from Luris being gone, but I do think that as far as the way that we think about this format as a whole, you used to think about whether you were playing a deck that could benefit from Faithless Looting or not very early on in any kind of deck construction, any kind of deck tweaking, any kind of metagaming, and I think that, that Luris is going to be similar to it in that sense. I do agree more with Watsy, though, that I, I think that Luris is more additive whereas Faith faithless looting was more of a core structure of the entire format. And I think that a deck like, let's say Grixis Death Shadow, a deck like Hammer is going to be 90 to 95% of the same as it was, right? And I think will perform really darn well. And I don't want to you know, have that whole conversation right now, of course. I do think, but I think that the loss of faithless looting just destroyed entire decks 
and entire ways mm-hmm. of playing the game, and I don't think it's going to happen with Loris necessarily. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it won't be as destructive, I think, but I do think, again, from a deck building perspective, it's a filter that was applied over the entire over the entire format that's now gone. And I think that's why they're parallel to me in, in some sense. Yeah, like, but think about like the a fact gel that, like, filter, and this is more of like a, like a wax filter. Yeah, I mean, think about the fact that, like, how much less graveyard hate are you going to be able to start packing in your, in your decks, in your sideboards, when you're thinking about decks, because there are so many decks that used to have a casual graveyard recursion plan, thanks to Luris, that just aren't going to have that dimension anymore. Like that's a that's a pretty big difference that, you know, I, I don't know what the numbers are gonna be, but it's gonna be less than you're than you needed before, I think. I'm not sure if endurance was seeing play because of Luris. No, I'm not talking about endurance. I'm talking about Soul Guide Lantern and Tormod like all the stuff that like every single deck needed to have X yeah. amount devoted to thwarting Luris's plan. Because you you know you knew that you were going to need to see that where people maybe won't do that or on certain weeks they'll be a little bit more like I don't think I'm going to see dredge or I don't think I'm going to see whatever and so I'm going to go light on graveyard hate and try to sneak through with with matchups that and hope that I don't draw the bad graveyard matchup maybe you won't have to do that as much anymore but at any rate that's just one example of kind of how I think the impact will really be it's not going to be destructive like you were saying about faith, faithless looting but i do think it removes an entire layer of thinking that was compulsory so last thing on this before we probably should move on the reason i'm going to equate it to jace and Bloodbright elf is i think that we're going to see some large sea changes that are motivated by ideas of creativity of excitement of being able to try new cards of strategies that people will think will be good into a what they imagine is the new metagame. And then I think we will see people go back and realize that the efficiency and raw power of Grixis Death Shadow and Hammer and who knows Mill for that matter. Like the decks that run Luris are still darn good and we'll see them in almost the entire same structure still performing quite well. That's what I think is going to happen. Yeah, I think that take is okay too. And I think that outcome is okay, to be honest, because those cards weren't operating on an unfair axis. They just had the ability to play a free card that gave them extra longevity that a whole other swath of two-thirds of other decks just didn't have access to. But I am also really excited about these opportunities. Like I'm, I would much rather be wrong and we see a good amount of new cards and new variety and a shift in the power level of the format, because I think that we have over time seen things become not stale by any means, but pretty well tiered and pretty well striated in what's performing well and why it's doing well. And so I think that if people are able to go back into the into the well and go back into their their deck building software website of choice and be like, well, I can I can think about this and I can think about this new option or old option rather and incorporate it into my deck and succeed with it. I'm I'm all for it. Yeah, I totally agree with it in that sense too. Like that's that's the big thing is that this should be an exciting time for modern coming up. Whether we return to this kind of stasis of where we are now, there's going to be a lot of upheaval between now and i don't know the next six weeks or so what people figured out but i'm I'm constantly shocked by how fast 
metagames get quote unquote solved or at least become a stable progression of things, you know, which is sort of what was happening in modern before they decided to ban Luris. But I do think there's going to be a lot of time for people who are content creators and brewers and things like that to just try new things out. You know, there's going to be a lot of conversation. And I think that stuff is all fun. You guys want to share some hot takes? More than we already have? But what what have you been holding on to that you think is shoot your shot quality, the craziest thing that could happen after this? Here's the the wildest suspicion that I have. I, I think Obosh will be the best companion going forward. Not Yorian, not might will be the, the most powerful one that people start complaining about next. Just random, mm-hmm. unpopular take. Maybe that's because I like playing with Obosh, but that's that's what I'm saying. The weirdest outcome that I think might happen. I mean Obosh does offer a a different a different thing than other companions do, right? It offers more damage. And that's pretty good. Yeah, and it also it also had some overlap with decks that Luris wanted to be in. So it was a lot easier to say, I'm gonna play Luris and Baubles and not stretch to a five mana card. And now you can be kind of like, well, maybe I'll go for this kind of different plan where I try to do a bunch of extra damage in the late game if I need reach. And maybe Luris can provide that. Uh, Obosh can provide that. But like I said, we'll see. I got one too. I think we might embark on a golden age of artifact decks where playing a lot of artifact hate it might become as important as playing a variety of different styles of graveyard hate used to be where Neo D- Neon Dynasty provided enough new tools, in addition to MH2, by the way, enough new tools to things like Urza and Hardened Scales and even Hammer and maybe affinity-style strategies that we're going to see the floodgates open up along that axis, more so than maybe any one other specific axis. I'm even worried about like some kind of weird combo deck bursting out now just because like we're not going to see as many Thoughtseize decks that Luris may be enabled to. I guess I'll stick with my hot take that I already had, which is like, it's not going to be as different as people think. And uh, that, that was already hot enough. Fair. <laughs> I think that's okay. All right. How about we take a really quick break? Maybe a cold shower after some of these hot, steamy opinions. Or my sweaty Obosh take, basically. Yeah. And, and then we come back. We'll, we'll do more Luris talk, but maybe we'll actually camp it in some actual data-backed reflections on what's been happening in modern and how we think certain cards, certain decks, or other changes might evolve based on this BNR. Stay with us. Guys, I got to try out a new Barrister Man product over the weekend. Ooh, what is it? Do you recall a couple weeks ago I mentioned that I've been using a safety razor, so literally applying a hot razor blade to my neck and cheeks, for my raising instead of like disposable cartridge-based razors. Do you have like a razor heater? No, I mean hot water. As much as I love doing that, I got to say it was really kicking my butt and tearing up my neck. And I had all the bumps, all the discomfort. And I finally got my hands on an aftershave bomb that not only works great, but actually smells well enough (laughs) for the other people in my house. Who have yeah. sensitive We've noses? Well-established sensitive nose brigade in your house. <laughs> Which right. one is it? That's right. I got my hands on a limited edition Paganini's violin. <sighs> oh, I'm so jealous. I don't have that one. Look at this art. That label's sick. I like that everything um, looks like looks kind of like an album cover. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. everything has like a unique look and feel, which I think is really 
you know, just another testament to the quality of the product. I am professionally yeah. jealous of whatever team does this stuff for Will. Team, if you listen to this, hit me up. Let's talk. You know how like sometimes you have company at your home and they walk into your bathroom and they see like a towel that is always damp and just like a single bottle of shampoo and conditioner that you kind of have to hide. You don't have to do that with Barrister Man products because they look so nice. Like my Pert Plus. Exactly. And and it really had an like undeniable positive impact on my aftershave routine and, and skin quality and overall feels. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I, I, I never had to use aftershave before because I was never using really good razors. And now that I'm using like all these good razor products, I actually have to take better care of my skin. And this thing totally did the trick. Can you tell me what the violin smells like? Because I've been wondering. It's really mild. It's just like this mild botanical is the way I, you okay. know how Malort is a two-fisted botanical? Yeah. This is a very mild kind of leafy beachy botanical that sounds dope i'm smelling it as you ask yeah i'm I'm watching you i'm watching you smell it i've been rotating through my like three shave soap now and i i literally shaved every other day now because i just like i want to have a new smell in my life so if you want new smells in your life if you want to take care of your skin if you want regular old soaps if you want shaving soaps if you want fragrances uh, if you want aftershave balms all that kind of good stuff head on over to barrister and man m a n n and if you use coupon code the dive down 2022 you get 15% off your first order it lets will citizen of the nation over there let us it lets him know that you came through us and that helps us out helps keep this relationship going uh, we love the products we love working with will and thank you to everyone who's been using our promo code thus far we appreciate it i know will appreciates it but we appreciate it too because we stand by these products we love using them and we really hope you do as well Okay, so Stan was about to do his monthly meta report. Why don't you take us through what you found about last month so that we can try to um, maybe identify which decks are kind of going up and which ones we think might go down or be most impacted by Luris. You know, there's a lot of decks that really aren't affected by this ban, so I'd love to talk a little bit about those ones as well. Totally, yeah. And and just to set this up, I want to say that it certainly felt to me like some of these premier Luris decks were on the rise. Right after Neon Dynasty got printed, I think we started seeing a lot of innovation within the Hammer strategy. And to me, if memory serves, it seemed like we were just talking about it so much more often, especially in top eight results. We certainly saw Grixis Shadow make a big splash recently, in particular. Um, you know, last week we talked about that. What is it? A what PTQ or Challenge or some MTGO event where all the players in the top four were on Grixis Shadow. We were even like chattering about some random up-and-comers that kept coming up. It seemed like week to week, like cat oven. This is all just sort of like anecdotal fields. Feels. Is that how you guys felt as well? Or did you get a different sense of what you thought might have been more popular in February? To me, it certainly felt like the metagame was coalescing around two decks in particular and maybe a group of six decks total and you'll go through them but for me the big ones were Luris decks hammer time and death shadow felt like they were definitely in a little bit of a back and forth kind of play over the last couple of weeks yeah especially hammer time i think people were really excited about trying the new azorius builds and incorporating the reality chip 
and some interesting sideboard card options then when going into Azorius or, or Esper or something like that. And then, of course, like you said, Dave, like I feel like we've just been hearing so much about Shadow recently, like more than more than before. I don't know if the data actually bears that out. I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not I haven't actually looked at this stand because like I said, I was working on an entirely different episode altogether in my mind. The I wouldn't be surprised to see some weird like, you know, eighth to tenth place, like just totally new artifact strategy. Like maybe maybe some kind of like Rakdos artifact thing. Uh, or uh, or hardened scales or something like that is actually kind of creeping up towards the end of this month. Yeah, we'll see. I also want to note for the listener that I tried to improve the methodology a little bit to make this segment maybe a little more digestible, a, a, a bit more interesting, and something that we're introducing this time around that I intend to maintain is actual percentages of negative or positive month-to-month growth. So we'll talk about Decks were X percent more popular, X percent less popular based on their relative appearance across all MTGO results that I looked at. So just for this top-down POV, the single most popular deck to appear in modern challenge results in particular in February was Hammer Time. Uh, It was in top 32s 37 times. In fact, it was the only deck that appeared in top 32s more than 30 times. And what's our total in here? Eight tournaments. Okay, and how many decks? Eight times 32? Okay, 256? Sure. I think they call that a bite. Nice. 256 a bite? Is that a kilobyte? What is that? It's a number. Good teeth. Hammer time, 37 copies. Second place was Death Shadow. 25 appearances across all these 256 decks samples followed by blink which did it 23 times and then the only other deck that appeared more than 20 times was is it murktide that uh, appeared in top 32s 21 times yeah so rounding wise these four decks were around 10 percent of the meta right with hammer time inching up towards 15 percent of the meta murktide was probably more like eight percent blink was more like Nine and a half percent, but that—that's what we're talking about. The decks that were flirting with ten percent of the meta of these top thirty-twos. Fifth place, and this one was a surprise for me. Sixteen copies, Living End, which is a deck that you know we're obviously aware of. We just don't really talk about much. It appears in top eights from time to time, but it doesn't feel like it's one that has been particularly dominant. Just kind of like ever present and certainly annoying to discuss or play against. Certainly, followed by Amulet Titan with fifteen copies, and then other. So these are just like your ones and twos, your experimentation, your deck diversity. 11 times other was, you know, captured in these top 32s. Your green trons, like like what's in there? Like how it's like, is there like a gap between like the sevens and then like the ones? So like or is- others are like your oops all spells, your Grixis controls, your Heliods, like it's these decks that only appeared like one time or t- two times in a tournament. And as a result, they weren't necessarily bucketed into the top decks of a tournament. That's usually anything that's like two or more appearances. And at the, so your green frowns, you're right. And at most, that's 11 decks, right? And it might be as little as six, right? Because mm-hmm. if it's ones and twos, then it could be five twos and a one, or it could be 11 ones. So there's your, there's your span. But it's not, it's not a huge number of decks in that other bucket either way. Yeah. Uh, Eighth most popular deck was Belcher. Eight copies. And then... Tied with seven apiece was Yogmoth, Burn, and Azorius Control. 
Among the most popular decks to appear in top eights, tied for first were Hammer Time and Shadow. They did it 10 times a piece. Whoa. That's a lot, especially when you look at the, the instance of the decks that come below that. Right. And the instance of the decks that come below it, the next most successful decks were Amulet and Blink, which did it four times a piece. Notably, not Luris decks versus Luris decks, if you think about it that way. Mm, good call. Uh, three times each was Merktide, Belcher, Azorius, and Living End, which, I mean, kind of like a pretty clear tier two, I would say. Maybe a, if Amulet and Blink are tier 1.5. And then finally, Jund, Crashing for Falls, and Boros Aggro, which has actually cracked the Earth. These each did it twice. Those are Crack the Earth ones. They're not the more prowessy ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. I mean, thoughts about this? The conversion rate of Death Shadow is very good out of this compared to everybody else, I think, if you look at it. Actually, realistically, Amulet Titan has the best conversion rate between 32s and top 8s, if you look at this. It's got more than 25% of people that put it in a top 32 gotten to a top 8 with it. Death Shadow is more around 20%. Hammer Time is is at less than 20% um, in this one, or slightly above 20 Sorry, slightly above 20%. So... Um, but Amulet Titan's the one that's kind of out out and ahead just in that raw number. I like your fast math, Dave. It might be wrong, but also I mean, <laughs> we're we're saying numbers on a podcast. Nobody's writing yeah. this down as we go, in, right? But aside from conversion rates, like undeniably, Hammer and Death Shadow are very dominant in the top results. We had sixteen finalists spread across ten different decks. All but two of them only did it once, and the two decks that appeared in finals more than once. They each did it four times, were Hammer Time and Death Shadow. Mm-hmm. Thopter Combo, Merktide, Jund, Is It Delver, Azorius Control, Titan, Living End. These all appeared in the finals, but they only did it once in February. And then finally, eight winners spread across five decks. The winningest deck last month was Death Shadow that did it three times. Hammer Time did it twice. Jund, Crack the Earth. And Azorius Control each did it once. So based on the results and popularity, wow. I think we can agree that the two best decks were Luris decks in this case. Granted, very different strategies, something that we've been touching on. But Shadow and Hammer essentially shared no cards beyond their companion. And when you consider the diversity among the challenge finalists, you do see a mix of like beloved and even some unexpected one-ofs. But then you have these just two elephants in the room that obviously maintained a level above everyone else, both in popularity and overall success. Should we stop here and talk about kind of this list of decks and which ones we think are going to up, down, sideways as we think about Luris being gone? I'd love to go back to this list of 11, well, 10 decks really that we have as the overall most popular decks in in these modern challenges and maybe go down that list and talk about what we think really quick off the cuff reactions to Luris being gone with them. Sure. So I, I have a new, I have a new rating system for these. You guys know, yeah. I love rating systems. Yes. All right. Thrives for decks. We think are going to get better. <laughs> yeah. Survives for things that we decks that we think are going to stay the same and dives for decks. We think are going to go down. Sorry to use beautiful. our own name for the, for the bottom one there, but it felt like it fit. I was going to call that one just dies, but I liked that the V, I liked the having the Vs yeah, in the, all of them. Yeah, the V, yeah, the rep, yeah, I get it, yeah. Okay, you get okay, it. Okay, so, yeah, so 
Okay, so how fast do you want us to be? Because I feel like we do have we have a decent amount of time, and I feel like this is really the Luris the the Luris impact episode, right? Yep. Yeah. And this is our prediction area. So this is where people okay. are going to write down and tweet us about it later, or even in the chat right now, they're going to tell us that we have it so wrong about what's going to happen, and we are a okay with that. Get us at the dive down on Twitter if you want to tell us how <laughs> wrong we are about what we think here. But uh, why don't we start with Hammer Time? Hammer Time was the most popular most popular yeah. deck. What do you think? Yeah. Thrives, survives, or dives? Shane. <sighs> you can go deeper than that, but I just want that that word at the okay, end of it. The, the the initial my initial take is okay, is thrives like gets better? Yes. Okay, it survives. Okay. Agreed. Yeah, I feel like the hammer time survives too. And by survive in this case, I think it still stays a major force in the metagame, but uh it doesn't really change and maybe maybe faces some more threats to to its dominance. But um yeah, I think mostly it survives. It's kind of the same as what it is. Yeah, I mean, it might be a survive minus for me because I, <laughs> because if I may, you know, I did predict that we might see a rise in artifact hate if artifact decks become more popular because the coast is clear now for Neo, Neon Dynasty cards. And as a result, Hammer Time without Luris might see more splash hate and not be as grindy and resilient as it used to be because of the companion. Does that mean we're going to start seeing people play Stony Silence, Stan? Is that what you think? Karn, kind of. Stony Silence, maybe something else that I'm not thinking about. All right, so we pretty much agree. Hammer still will exist. It might not be as dominant, but we think that the deck largely will stay similar to where it is now. Uh, hammer Time is, to me, the, the biggest weird one. Like I, I feel like Death Shadow, Grixis Death Shadow, sorry, I know it's the next one. I feel like that's going to be surprisingly similar like maybe people try to stretch it into like a murktide version but i think hammer time has the most interesting options for changes without luris because we saw uh, what crusher bot continually play hammer time without luris for a very long time when many other people were playing the strategy uh, with luris and therefore eschewing options like various swords eschewing options like nettle cyst and I think that when more people are faced with the option of saying, hey, I don't have Luris anymore. I don't have the same type of grindy strategy to win mid and long games where I can get back that pure steel paladin. I can get back that hammer or something like that. I can get back some needed piece that gets this 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 deck into a winning state. Uh, I think that they can say, well, what do I look at now? And I can look at what Crusherbot was doing. More than one or two people can be iterating on strategies of Hammer that are, are Lurisless. And I think that we will see some interesting iteration there, especially with the new Reality Chip that's still in its infancy. And I think that Reality Chip plus Luris being gone, Reality Chip essentially replaces Luris without the deck building restriction. Hmm. And so that's kind of a, a powerful option. The only deck building restriction with reality chip is you still want really cheap cards so i do think there might be a little bit of pressure going the other way on including you know more expensive pieces of equipment to go get with stoneforge because they make your reality chip runs stop sometimes you know what i mean but but i agree with what you're saying in principle i'll just be i think there's a lot of different ways that this could go shame but i do think that reality chip kind of already was a little bit of redundancy with luris and now it'll just get more focus yeah, I mean, I think that I don't think there's a gigantic, pan, you know, Pandora's box, a treasure chest of amazing 
three plus mana permanents that can go into hammer time because it's a lean deck. It is a deck that has a singular purpose to get the opponent dead. And I don't think it wants to start going into some mode where it's playing a, a lot of high CMC permanents. And like you said, Dave, even the the pseudo replacement of reality chip does not support that as well. So I don't think we see dramatic shifts, but I think that we see interesting iterations over the coming weeks and months. And I don't think hammer time, like, like we all agree. I think we think it's a survivor. Uh, I don't think it necessarily gets a ton better. I don't think that these new versions are going to blow the power of Luris out of the water and the redundancy and recursion it provided to this deck. But I think that hammer time will be just fine. What do we think about Death Shadow? Next next one on the list. Another powerful Luris deck lately, of course. So I'm inclined to say it's a survivor. I don't think it's going to thrive because Luris improved the deck. It kind of brought it back to life. The one caveat I'll say is, depending on some of the decks that this ban opens up, you know, colloquially people talk about like the unofficial unbans. Like if people start playing more humans for instance like i can see shadow actually suffering because of all these new strategies that aren't getting punished for playing three cmc creatures mm. so yeah i'll give it a a, a survive but a, a, a suspicious survive i think this deck is gonna change a lot or at least there's gonna be maybe more than we might return to a world where there's more than one shadow deck possible Again, right? Where Shadow, you know, Shadow used to be for a little while where we'd be like, hey, Grixis was good, and then Jund was good, and then Mardu was good for a minute as like an interesting meta choice. I think we might get back to a space where Shadow, as the sort of premier cheapest threat closer for the lowest CMC, so these real like low CMC turbo Xeroxy temp- tempo y decks, for lack of a better term, but that is what I think Shadow really is. For that whole thing, I think that there might just be more options for it to metagame differently from where it got to before. There won't always be pressure to do that. Like the core that's there right now of, as you've said a bunch of times, Stan, Expressive Iteration plus Monkey is a really good core for a deck like this to have. But maybe sometimes there'll be different things. And, you know, I mean, by the time this episode comes out, everybody will have already talked about the fact that Everett got a 5-0 with an Obosh Mardu <laughs> Shadow list today that included, I think, included. Ranger Captain and maybe Season Pyromancer and some other stuff in it as Street well. Street Wraith. Street Wraith, right. Street Wraith yeah. is another card that helps push push a different way for Shadow. I just think it might become that there are more than one Shadow deck at this point in time, which technically speaking, I guess to me would mean that Grixis Shadow might dive, but that's not because this archetype is going to go away. I think it's just it might just evolve a lot or be able to do more. Yeah. I do think the the power of Luris in this deck was pretty darn high because like you mentioned, Dave, just the efficiency of threats. Like you, you, you stick a Luris down and you have one extra mana. You have four mana. You cast a Luris, you get a death shadow back. It's like another, let's say eight, eight threat. That's really significant. And that's effectively like just tutoring up a fifth death shadow out of your deck and playing it to the board, right? Or if you need any number of other value permanent that if Luris can stick, then that's even better, right? And I think that people are already talking about a lot of different cards to look at with death shadow from the old classic of Street Wraith to the new classic of Murktide. Mm-hmm. And from anything in between where you could be like, well, do I play Gurmag Angler again? Do I play like a Demir type strategy that focuses on Delve? Am I playing like Murderous Cut again? 
No. What's interesting, no. <laughs> I do think it's interesting, though, is like, like Death Shadow, right now, you use the term Turbo Xerox, and I think I used that a week or two ago to describe Death Shadow, and I don't think that's what that deck's about anymore. Yeah, like, it doesn't have cantrips. Yeah. yeah, we're not paying p- piles of cantrips anymore, but maybe we could, or maybe that's what Murktide does right now, and we don't need to play into that range, because Murktide is kind of our Turbo Xeroxy, more cantrip-heavy counter magic heavy tempo-y deck in that fashion and death shadow is the aggressive tempo deck but maybe death shadow can play a different style of game now where it's not as brutally aggressive and brutally efficient and can try to take advantage of graveyard filling cantrips it can take advantage of card selection cantrips that then can fuel those big delve creatures and can use the power that we know of, of street wraith to bring your life total down and dig through your deck for essentially nothing yeah, and I think that there's combinations that we haven't seen in a long time that are possible, especially with Murktide coming into it. If you're like, hey, I don't want to play the aggro version anymore, you know, the one the one that has the red one drops in it. I want to play Tarmogoyf and I want to play Murktide, which are, are bad together because of Delve. So maybe you wouldn't quite do that, but maybe there's some kind of incentive to do Sultai or something like that as well. But um, I, I just think there's a lot of iteration on the on the menu for Shadow going forward. All right, how about Blink? Stan, you're our blink expert. Uh, survive slash thrives. Yeah, I think a lot of people are assuming thrive. I think that this deck also. I also think that this deck is probably a thrive. I think it's a, a short term thrive, and then people will realize that it's really hard to play. That it's not perhaps quite as good as maybe the popularity of it indicates. Again, I, I feel. Like I have to provide caveats. This deck is amazing, but it's just like it's it's not the best deck in the format. And for that reason, I don't think an eighty card deck that just like happens to have all the best cards in every single color necessarily is where the format wants to go in a non lurus environment. Well, this deck really excels with at board interaction too is the thing and so the thing that could happen in this world is if we have a bunch of decks that get good that aren't board interaction based like if we have some combo if cascade gets really popular again like four color blink as it's made right now isn't the best at interacting with that kind of stuff and so that might be a problem for this deck generally depending on what kind of tries to take a shot at the at the top of the meta coming from here but i mean i I, I disagree with the cascade point but Sure. Rather than dithering, like I, I think we cannot overestimate the fact that post board games are the bread and butter of modern. Like seriously, you play more games with sideboards than without. I think objectively, and Luris decks are not really good post board strategies. They're kind of like this classic classic example where you really want to win game one and then just draw game two as much as you can and. For that reason, I think people are going to recognize that like this is really hard, and if we're going to see a rise in certain control strategies, it might be a more traditional 60-card blue-white or Jeskai deck long-term. How about Murktide, just to keep this moving? Oh, Thrive. I think this is actually one of the real winners because it had all the best cards, or some of the best cards from Shadow and, and other Luris decks without having to actually play Luris. And yeah. it still gets to like use Bobble very profitably has a really great early game. It can play a control strategy. It has a killer finisher. I think Murktide is actually going to be one of the most successful decks like in challenges next week. Do you think it had any particularly bad matchups against Lurus strategies? Like, were they just 
the same kind of efficiency, but offering more threats that got onto the board more quickly? Like, do you think Murktide can thrive because that Luris is no longer in the format? Or do you think it's just sort of a popularity thrive along with just raw power level of a good strategy? I think not having to play Grixis Shadow is probably in Murktide's favor. It's probably going to have a hard time against Four Color, but I can see maybe Four Color getting punished by some other strategies and kind of help clear the way for Murktide. But the Murktide versus Hammer matchup was kind of in Murktide's favor because of Archmage's Charm and Fury if you played it. And mm-hmm. and just like the amount of removal that you had uh, in Unholy Heat and, and Lightning Bolt that I think it, it both, the band gets rid of some of the, the annoying matchups and doesn't necessarily buoy the, the bad matchups either. And if there's any deck that like Drown the Lock is going to be on against most of the time, it's Murktide Regent from Death Shadow. What, what do you guys think? Murktide Regent? Like, do you agree that I think that this might be one of the Thrivers short term? Yeah, I don't know if it, I don't know how much better it gets in, in, in terms of just a power level or matchup level, but I do think that Murktide Regent is a proven performer in this meta. I think that if people want to try something a little bit different because they don't like what happened to Shadow, they can pivot over to Murktide Regent and do similar things. And potentially, if uh, the, the Death Shadow doesn't get solved in a way uh, quickly, or it feels like the power level has dropped off significantly to people, then I think Murktide is is it the type of deck that they will pivot to and the popularity will rise 5-10%. Yeah, I can agree with that. I think this is your simple, somewhat simpler, somewhat more controlling, more stable mana base kind of version where you get to play a proven finisher, like you said. And so I think that there'll be a lot of gravity around this deck. Mm-hmm. How about Cascade slash Living End? What were those matchups like for... Well, I know that Rhinos and Living End are pretty different from each other, but right now it seems like Living End is the flavor of the moment. How do we feel about those matchups against Luris decks? I feel like if the hand disruption decks become less popular, like if we start seeing Death Shadow go away a little bit and the Inquisitions and the Thoughtseizes fade a little bit, and if the Hammer Time is focused still on Azorius maybe not Esper, maybe not Orzov, then what other decks really are playing Thoughtseize right now? Not many. Yeah. And I'm not a living end pilot, but I have played like reanimator type strategies and the fewer one mana <laughs> hand interaction spells that are picking off my two and three mana combo enablers, uh, the happier I am. And so I imagine the decks that want to cast three mana cascade spells and cascade into the living ends or cascade into their uh, rhinos uh, are going to be a lot happier. Yeah. Yeah, I think th- what they really need to be worried about from now on is like Teferis and Omnaths and maybe Solitudes more so than the stuff that the Luris decks are doing. I feel, and I feel like Living End has those tools. Like I feel like Living End has, you know, the sideboard tools and, and some, and now the main deck lands, the, the channel lands that can take care of those problematic permanents. And then they can sideboard into more of those. And I think that that is a lot easier for Living End decks to deal with than the cheap hand disruption. And so I think that Living End, I think, has an up arrow. I think that is a, a it might be a thriver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then finally, out of this top six, Amulet Titan. Like Thrive Plus. Yeah. I, the reason being is that with Death Shadow gone, that's one less deck that is really good at activating Unholy Heat. And I think Murktide is now potentially, or, or if other Blood Moon decks emerge, like are now responsible for maybe keeping Amulet 
in check. I agree. I mean, looking at it, it feels like some big mana decks are about to come back, right? Like we're going to maybe have some, maybe we'll see a mini Tron resurgence, probably going to see Amulet Titan's already been good. It already led the conversion between 32 and top uh, top eights, probably in percentage-wise from my at-a-glance math. So it feels like, yeah, there should be a big plus arrow next to this one too. So I got to say, we looked at these top six decks. We kind of put a plus arrow next to all of them. So I think that what it's so we said hammer time and death shadow would maintain and then we kind of said that blink murktide living end and amulet will all get better how do we mm-hmm. feel about that just so the the takeaway i get from that is that we expect hammer time and death shadow to come back to the pack and these cards that are th- these decks that are third fourth fifth position sixth position to kind of even back out and maybe be the most prevalent decks in this next month's sample is that fair do you think for what we said do you think that accurately reflects what we were talking about I just want to hold this accountable because we didn't say anything was going to go away, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I guess I will say I'm. I, the more I think about it, the more I am leaning towards Stan idea, Stan's statement of Hammer Time being sort of like a survive minus, where it's like I think that Hammer might actually have taken a larger hit than I want to admit. Like the raw power level of Hammer is there, and sure it gives a few more interesting options, but it's not quite the same option as getting anything you want back out of your graveyard later in the game <laughs> yeah where all of your payoff spells do come can be brought back with that with that single card basically i think that's fair i'm so glad i finished building hammer time this week and the cards are in the mail literally right now for me to be able to play hammer too but you know customer service dog yeah. call them say hello it's, it's david from the dive down i will slander you on my podcast <laughs> the one thing i'll say about kind of this matrix that we're using right now is it's very deck focused and i actually think the future of modern in terms of innovation is more card focused and it's not going to be as much about people saying like oh is my favorite deck going to be good again because it's going to see play and the next league post laris league is going to have five thousand decks but i think what we're going to see is a lot of innovation with particular cards and finding new homes for stuff that was printed post companions that never saw the light of day including some stuff from mh2 in particular as well as familiar favorites that maybe got pushed out of the format because of luris incentivizing everyone to play zero one and two cmc permanents all right so to close this section up maybe before we go and get to some cards like you were saying stan because i think we all have some cards that we'd love to kind of discuss in a vacuum as being things that might be back on the, on people's radars, any last decks that you think take a notable hit, take get a notable increase that we should be keeping an eye on in this new, new world going forward. In my opinion, I would keep an eye on stuff like Belcher combo decks in particular, and likewise, maybe Thopter combo or Urza, especially and stuff that I think can either like, create a crazy combo that is going to ditch um you know the hand disruption that Shane was talking about as well as you know the addition of like really powerful cheap new artifacts that maybe didn't fit in Luris decks but now might be able to find a home in like some of these Urza strategies Urza or affinity strategies Shane what do you think uh, anything anything come to mind that you're really worried about that we haven't talked about so far here's what I think okay the real the real thing is is there's anything slower that can like build up increment like has to like sort of set up and then execute on that setup like can it fight against the four colored 
blink style decks, the money pile style decks, because they have the elementals that can take care of like small creatures, something like that. Like is Heliod combo going to suddenly make a resurgence is like a devoted Druid style deck going to suddenly make a resurgence. And it's like, I don't know, like not with, not with fury or not with solitude still ruling the roost and potentially an increase in like these four and five color decks. And so it's, it's tough for me to kind of anticipate because I think what people will kind of want to do is do something slower because I can play a high value three and four mana permanent, but at the same time, then it's like, well, other people are doing things too. You're not operating in isolation and maybe combo comes back a little bit more strongly. Maybe living and comes back a little bit more strongly. And so I think what we're going to quickly see is what, what become the new pillars, maybe not necessarily because of sheer power level, but because of sheer presence. And then how do people metagame against what people consider to be the best decks while we're still hashing all this out? And I think that's what we saw kind of early in the Modern Horizons 2 meta, right? Which is just people trying stuff and then it being hard to metagame against. That's why it took so long for something like Azorius Control to solidify and become like a true tier one deck for a while. Because it's like, well, how do you fight against everything? And I think we're going to see a little bit of everything right now as people try, like Stan said, new cards and new decks to try to fight those cards or incorporate them. God, Shane, your, your point about Azorius Control just made me realize all the money I wasted on Chalice of the Voids. <laughs> oh, that's still a legitimate card. <sighs> but not an Azorius. Yeah, that's another playset that I recently completed. Great. Very well. Very good. I, mean, I, have, I have great timing. Thanks, Michael Majors. You got to listen to me during the the purchase episode when I said everyone should buy their Chalice of the Voids. Right. I did. Good now, work. where's my money, dog? <laughs> uh, customer service, Stan. You know, oh, I'm just okay. going to be honest here and say I have no idea. I was thinking about what kind of decks would I be having my eye on that's not on this list. I, I don't really feel like I know what's going to happen other than what we've talked about with some of the decks that are established right now, I feel like I can make some assumptions about, but there's always that thing about magic and in a big meta game, like modern where, you know, when, when Shane was like, yeah, maybe Heliod will come back, even though prismatic ending still kind of destroys Heliod, like uh, maybe, maybe something like that'll happen. I don't know. I think it's mostly going to be, and I hope that what happens is that other grows as a category for a while in the medium Mm -hmm. term. All right, there is one last section in the monthly report that I want to bring to your attentions, and that was some of the rate changes month to month of a handful of these decks that we're talking about. And I think some of them may be a little bit of a surprise to all of us. We had noted that Hammer was very popular, of course, and it had gotten more popular in February. It was actually 25% more popular uh, from January to February. Grixis Death Shadow, 24% less popular. And though it ended up being a pretty top-heavy deck, it wasn't as much of the metagame share as it was the previous month. And I think part of that is because of how big the other bucket was. We saw so much more variety that some of these top decks, especially Death Shadow, actually shrunk a little bit. The other one that shrunk as well was Blink. Dropped for a modest 4%. I found that, I found that noteworthy. Yeah. yeah, effectively, effectively flat. I mean, the the biggest jumps we saw were what? Mono blue living end up almost two hundred percent. But oh, when, it, you, when you say mono blue living end, what are they? Are they they're just cycling random random <laughs> turtles. Yeah, basically. Uh, no, it's, just, it's for some reason goldfish blue called it blue, blue living end. It's it went from two percent to six percent um, from January to February. So that one had a big uptick. 
Same with Amulet Titan, almost doubled, up 87%. Azorius Control, more than doubled, up 118%. A couple of Lurus decks actually also dropped in addition to Shadow. Burn, down 42%. Jund, down 67%. The Prowess, up 200%. Yeah, reaching a whopping 1.95% of the field. Yeah, so it means there was one or two decks in January and there was four or five, you know, four-ish in February. So I think we'll see some of these trends potentially continue. As we've talked about, some decks we think have up arrows next to them and some that we think, you know, potentially might just be kind of flat. Yeah, the the other one that we really overlooked in our overall discussion that had a pretty big jump was Indomitable Creativity. Went from 0.3 to 0.8. So (laughs) although less than 1%, more people have been picking it up, and I think that is another deck that can have an up arrow next to it moving forward because it's imp- it's not impacted by th- this banning. I was actually going to mention that, and I feel like if it turns out that, and I didn't want to do the thing where I talk about the deck that I've been playing lately, but it did cross <laughs> my mind uh, in the sense that, but I, I'm also not sure if there's a world where there's more Merktide. You know, is it Merktide out there with the counterspell suite that the powerful kind of counterspell suite that is it Murktide has in it. If, if creativity is really that great in that context or not. So if, so I feel a little bit like that one similar to living end in some ways is related to the number of counterspell decks that you see out mm-hmm. there floating around because you know, the thing that uh, creativity is really good at, at least the way that it behaves right now is it's really good at, you know, shutting down decks that are mostly board based whether you're playing with archons or whether you're playing with emissary emissary gives you an extra angle against something like burn but you know i think archon does that well too with the life gain so uh, I, you know i think it's possible that that one goes up just because of popularity and people starting to recognize that it's a good deck right on gentlemen i feel like we've we've talked so much about the old and the effects on the old uh, what i'd love to get into a little bit is you know like everyone else is what cards that have been effectively considered off the menu are are now new options for us to eat at the restaurant of modern this is i'm straining this metaphor a little bit (laughs) Mm -hmm. how big does that buffet get at ponderosa now that maris isn't there to eat all of the eat all of the the low low calorie things you know did your family go to ponderosa buffet a lot because we did i don't know about a lot but i've definitely been there for in, sure. my, in my mind, I was there like once a month. I don't think that was the case, but man, I remember that Sunday bar fondly. And so I'm looking forward to talking about the Sundays we're going to create with some of our favorite old slash new cards. The first card I would love to throw out there. I think it's the first, and I, I'm going to throw it out there. I'm going to make you talk about it, Shane. This is the hype card of today. As soon as the ban happened, what card did everybody want to talk about? It's Liliana. Liliana. Liliana the Veil. Uh, I made the questionable decision to buy my second playset of Lily after purchasing my first and then selling them and then buying them again. But now they're half the price almost of what they used to be. And they might stay that way. But let's get into that in a second. So Liliana the Veil, you know, this is, it's it's kind of the showcase card of something that Luris eliminated because it was a card that was in Luris-style decks. It was in every black-based mid-rangey style deck and because it's a three mana permanent it was not playable with Luris. And so that was one of the early arguments that everyone would make is like, oh, if you, if you play Luris, you can't play Lily. And that didn't end up mattering that much. At all. And yeah, Jund is a all. reasonably good and reasonably powerful, popular deck, even in modern right now. I know the meta share was down last month, but it's a pretty well-established archetype at this point that still leverages good Modern Horizons 2 cards. 
in a uh, yeah. in Urza Saga. So and Ragavan. Yeah, I mean, I don't even think it's it's funny that you went straight to Jund because it's not like Liliana of the Veil vale and and Jund. They're together in our in classic modern players' minds. But I feel like we've seen such a, a strong uptick in Rakdos based decks in Mardu style decks where because we have so many good threats in red, so much good interaction in black, and you know, Death Shadow style decks are based around black, that you know, it's 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 tempting to be like, well, uh, do we just have like a we do we have Jund back? But I think it's also important to look at and be like, well, do we just have a slightly higher curve? Rakdos value deck. Like, do I just sort of up the curve? I can drop Liliana in there. I can potentially talk about another card in Season Pyromancer, another high-value three-drop that is in you know these mid-range grindy-style decks, uh, in what I would call aspiring spike-style decks, where just like, how much value can I extract over the course of a long game? And but sticking with Liliana for now, I'm, I'm not sure we're still living in the world of Liliana's modern, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm tempted to think that she could have a place. I mean, she still can shut down opposing creature decks in the kind of strategy that these decks work with, which is eliminate early threats, stick a Liliana. They can't play anything into her because she can minus uh, gain iterative value by discarding the opponent's hand. That still may have some value for you and all that kind of stuff still can happen, but I think it just happens less frequently uh, in, in today's modern, but yeah, I'm not sold on, on Liliana being like astounding, but I think it has a, it has a role, but I don't think it's like going to become the, the new, a new pillar of modern by any means. What about the other Liliana? Remember when Liliana I was the Last Hope that was good? Too, actually, yeah. I've been thinking about her so much recently. I just I, I keep thinking her. about Liliana the Last Hope because like she kills Ragavans. Exactly. <laughs> On turn three. <laughs> oh, whoops. But it's turn two if you hit with your Ragavan first. Yeah. That's pretty true. good. True. Maybe not. But I do think that, that that it's an interesting card to think about because it just it has a slightly different axis than the other Liliana because it lets you get a card from your graveyard. Too and it pluses to do that if I remember right, right? Isn't the plus one? Yeah, the re- the recursion thing is pretty cool. So I think that there's Lily on the Last Hope is is a card that I'm surprised at just how it's nowhere at all. But if it's going to be anywhere, I do think that it will be back in modern because of because of the fact that there's still it does does effective creature removal. But I don't know if it's going to be a thing again. But we can hope. We can yeah. it can be our last hope. Since you brought this other card up. Let's talk about Season Pyromancer. Because Season Pyromancer is actually a card that I have more confidence in than I do in, in either of the Lilianas as far as being a good and useful card, again, in post, post-Luris modern. Mm-hmm. Don't know exactly where it fits, but it's certainly a card that when you think about aggressive mono-red shells, uh, some things that had been kind of warped around modern around Luris, especially prowess-style decks, which, you know... We kind of played with Season Pyromancer for a little bit at the very be- very end of Mono Red Phoenix, for example. Even a little bit post-Faithless Looting Band, people tried to use that as one of your discard outlets, which was like not a great idea. But I do think that that card provides value in so many different ways that I feel like it's a card that might come back, right? You can get creatures, you can get card draw, you can use it out of your graveyard to get tokens again. I just feel like there's a lot, a lot going on with Season Pyromancer, and it happens right away. Unlike a card like Liliana now with a a planeswalker like that where it takes time to accrue the value sort of i mean one thing i do like about liliana is that she feeds delirium 
something to note because Unholy Heat is still going to be a really good card. With regard to Spyro, though, I think it's important to keep in mind that apart from constricting the curve and 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 you know the the CMC of your permanence, it was also a grindy value engine, and I think Season Pyromancer can help fill that part yeah. of the equation too, right? Because he can draw you cards, because he can also make you tokens. Something that is going to help alleviate the card advantage lost from Luris bands is one of the places where you really want to look at replacing or, or, or updating your decks in a post-Luris world. And it also feeds Delirium because you can get those tokens and get the card draw by throwing a card away in a shell that has Unholy Heat with it and mm-hmm. doesn't on comes into play. Right, mm-hmm. so you don't have to wait to plus it twice or something like that to make it work. It just does all this stuff right away, and so that's part of the reason that I feel like there's a very good chance that we start to see more season pyromancer around. Season pyromancer, Liliana of the Veil, madness decks. Let's let's do it. Let's go. Perfect. Let me let me get my. Uh, I forget the name of the lightning bolt suddenly, which is a card I've played a bunch of times. But the uh, you know, oh man, the lightning yeah, poop a doop. I forget. Played it in in uh, in Pioneer. All right, so another card that draws cards that's one of my favorite cards that I would love to talk about momentarily while we're talking about cards that draw when they come into play and make you discard when you come into play Bedlam Reveler hmm. similar yeah that, that's a spicy meatball right there I feel a little similar to it the same way that I feel about Season Pyromancer just when I think about times when uh, Mono Red Prowess was good before Luris came along and maybe not too long after Luris was around, there were definitely some days where Bedlam Reveler, like a, a a prowess deck with a Bedlam Reveler at the top of the curve was really good at that point in time. And it fills that same hole, I think, the same way that we talked about with Luris, but it does it on comes into play. And so that's the other thing that I was really looking at with both season Pyromancer at Bellum Revelers, that they don't have to survive in order to get that card value back for it. You get it right when it comes into play. And all that shell is still there. There's some new cards to think about playing with it. From Crimson Val, there's Ancestral Anger, which people are less into these days. There, but there's mo- more notably Reckless Impulse that I think is possible to kind of bring that red shell back. And I know I've seen people already brewing with it, like Mickey, at Mickey S. from our Discord, and Joey Pasco from... Uh, Yo, I'm Chigi Taps, who is in the chat right now. Um, but I think that there's there's a good chance that maybe Bedlam Reveler can come home, and that's great because I have uh, I have the old the Time Spiral ones, so I'll be I'll enjoy putting those in my deck. Dave, speaking of chat, I do want to have a, a live look in where <laughs> Mickey S said he just got wrecked by Lily the Last Hope tagging his Dragon's Rage channeler. And you know what? That's kind of what I was ima- another thing I was imagining happening with Lily the Last Hope. It's not a bad card. Like you said, it kills these powerful one drops and they're around. Um, they're around. Stan, what cards are you interested in that maybe have gone away for a little bit? Lightning Skelemental? <laughs> Skelemental! We haven't said that in a while. Yeah, we really haven't. Here's why. Okay, I'm not just, I'm not going to completely joke for the sake of being hilarious. We have seen this black, white like quasi unearth deck that's using things like Malachir rebirth and undying evil to like bring your creatures back from the graveyard when they die. And we see it paired with things like solitude and grief. And I wonder if the addition of lightning skill elemental um, along with Kroxa is something that can make future unearth strategies actually have legs again. I mean, potentially, and, 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 
And part of yeah. that is also like the card advantage point I was making earlier. Like, unless Skelemental dies on site, if it connects, it's making your opponent discard a couple cards. It's also like dinging them for up to six damage. It has trample, so maybe a few less, but you don't ever want to block the Skelemental. No, it's not worth it to have that third card go away. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that you loved Skelemental. I definitely thought about just putting it in the notes for you. I'm glad that you brought it in <laughs> yourself. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think it's definitely possible. And it's certainly a card that there was nowhere near enough value out of it with Luris there blocking it. But now, yeah. who knows? Yeah, I mean, the other one that I think a lot of people are talking about that we should mention is Nettlesis. Being one of the strongest threats at 3CMC in particular. And it being kind of a sticky threat too. Because even if the germ dies, if as long as the equipment stays on the board, then you can keep attaching Nettlesis to things. And I know that's been a really strong strategy in some of these new affinity decks that emerged in the immediate aftermath of Neon Dynasty. And maybe without some of the Lurus midrange or Lurus aggro piles running around, Nettlesis can continue to thrive in a post-Lurus world as well. I definitely think that's something that's on everybody's mind, especially when you look at Hammer as a way to get a giant threat out without the need of a creature. Right, being able to search up a cranial plating is a nice way to go mm-hmm. for that deck, and especially when it comes into play as a creature on its own, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I, I assume it'll probably be one of the first things that people try out in this new Postlerus hammer. Last one I'll throw out before we we pass it to Shane: Asmore Animar, Decay Days to Neck Uldikar. Decay Day, you say? Yeah. What about food decks? So, like, with the thing that's really good about food decks is their ability to remove opposing creatures, right? So, I think right. it depends on the the style of creature decks we see become more popular in modern again. And if they are slightly slower and they are slightly bigger, then Asmo decks certainly can be like a yeah, cool, like season pyromancer. Like, I'm just gonna pick that off. And but I, I do think it the food decks I think want to exist in a particular world, and I, I'm I'm. I'm not even sure what that world looks like besides just removal being good and big removal being good. Well, if if people are going to be playing more 3CMC creatures, then maybe that removal will be relevant for some period of time. Yeah, just give them a chance to catch up. Basically, yeah. it's like having it be a little bit slower it gives you a chance for that grindy removalness of food to be able to come come online again. I got one for you. As I'm going to look at Modern Horizons 1 cards that used to be awesome and stopped being awesome... How about Plague Engineer? Oh no! Do we think that card's going to come back? What's it? What's it targeting? Like just to, to does keep, it matter to, to, to ensure that uh, <laughs> human decks never exist again? Monkeys <laughs> naming monkey Plague Engineer for monkey Plague Engineer naming human. I don't know to help get rid of uh, to help get rid of DRC or something like that. Goblins I, name goblins. Go- yeah, I mean there might be people who do goblins, but I think that Plague Engineer was useful against things other than tribal decks sometimes too and so if you if you look at it was just a card that was completely impossible to use right now because most of the decks that wanted to use it or could use it they're playing luris so it wasn't even an option anymore so it just make me wonder a little bit about about that you guys medium on that one potentially no i think no i i think that's a fair point that is just like you're less discouraged to use it now and even yeah. though there may not be tribal decks that emerge out of this, though I think there won't be, what Plague Engineer does in non-tribal matchups is it can prevent someone from ever casting like a critical creature. Right. Like a monkey, for example. Yeah. 
Yeah. How about another MH1 card in Ranger Captain of Eos, mm. which has been gone for a while as well. So Ranger Captain of Eos costs four mana? Three. Three. What's just the four? Is that is it's, that range is it the old Ranger Captain? That's just cap uh yeah, that's just the normal okay. one. Yeah. Got it. And Ranger Captain of Eos gets a one or zero mana card out of your deck, right? Yep. And it has the silence effect. Oh yeah, the sil- yeah, and the, it's the a sacrifice three, three. silence. That's a good one for sure. Yeah, there it is. Ranger of Eos is the name of the other card. Does Undying Evil work like you wanted to with the sacrifice effect? Like if you target Ranger Captain with Undying Evil, sack it to silence, does it come back? Yeah. For Sick. sure. That's yeah. the deck. <laughs> That's the deck. I mean, I will say, you know, this was part of what led to those Mardu Shadow decks being a thing. And, you know, it was in the deck that Everett trophied with today, as well as a way to search up a shadow if you want it, and to be able to disrupt your uh, yeah, non, non-creature spell decks, your spell decks. Uh, for example, decks that use Cascade spells. You get this on board, what are they going to do? They got to kill it first. Like Cascade needs more tools to to hurt it besides like Chalice and Teferi 3 and things like that. Void Mirror, yeah. which people don't play anymore either. But So, yeah, Ranger Captain, another good value piece. Like it's, it's efficient enough. It does something well enough that I think people will experiment with it. I... This, this again, this makes me think about how what everyone's mind goes from two mana creatures that are either just really good beaters or have like some mana flexibility, like Turok, for example, is a, is a two mana creature and a four mana creature, right? We immediately right. are like, what are our three mana value options that have good ETBs that, uh, that have some kind of hate ability like Plague Engineer, they're Planeswalkers that are in Luris colors like Liliana. And I think that that's the most interesting thing is because then new ETBs effectively are like new spells, right? Because it's like, hey, we, right. we get a new spell attached to a body and therefore it's a lot more valuable. So like that makes me hyped, that makes me interested. I'm not sure, again, we have to be live in a metagame where like that type of value at the speed that the value is being provided is worthwhile. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how fast we realize if we have gone past that point in modern or not, where it's like, yeah, th- these three mana value creatures are no longer good enough, but uh, I think that decks can be constructed in ways where you can buy yourself enough time. And we see that happen time and time again with all sorts of, you know, Rakdos or Mardu mid range style strategies that Ranger Captain is a, another cool option, like you said, to, to get uh, either a certain tech piece or to get a Death Shadow or something like that. Dave, are you interested in anything real kind of weird? Like, are you thinking like any kind of like four mana creatures or other types of equipment or, or spells or things like that might have a, might have a chance? The weirdest card that I had on my list that, that I think is a four mana card or i know as a four mana card is showdown of the skulls i kind of wondered if as far as curve topper goes curve toppers go for decks red white decks that that could fit into if that might be a way to go to get some value and some extra strength out of your creatures and casting spells that never really got a shot in modern but always seemed like maybe 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 it could have been a thing but that was something that crossed my mind just as what was totally knocked out of the way by luris that maybe Maybe there's some room for that as a two of in a deck that needs a powerful spell to top its curve. Yeah, I mean, Shutdown is a is a powerful spell. 
in that it you know, not only provides card advantage, but then makes like the cards that you draw potentially better with it. Like I, I love the the boost that it provides to the creatures that you cast. I think I, I heard the word grist be mentioned more than a few times today on like Spike Stream. I think that people are potentially interested in in yet another planes three mana planeswalker that is in Lurisy colors in grist. Right now, we've only really seen it see legitimate play with the Yogmoth strategy because it just works so well with Yog. But uh, Grist is just a really good planeswalker. It it provides right. uh, bodies. It pr- works in certain strategies to provide removal. Uh, it's a it's a very good three mana walker. And I think that there's a chance that we see Grist just show up in other places. And I'm I'm hyped for that. You want another MH two card that I was throwing around in my mind, and that is General Ferris Rockerick. All of the Here kind comes of the general. <laughs> All of the kind of hope that people had pinned on those domain-esque decks when they saw all those cards yeah. spoiled from Modern Horizons 2 just kind of shattered by the value engine that is Luris. Is there a chance that now with, uh, you know, it's only a three-mana card that still makes a giant yeah. token just from casting a multicolor spell? Like, maybe that's a thing that could become become a value engine way to go uh, at a slightly higher mana cost in a new deck. Yeah. Is there anything that you think people will try that you're just out on, like like for like for me like yeah blood, blood braid elf or something like that right like is are we living in a world Probably. where like regular jund is going to become like a legitimate option again? I mean it is very good against hammer, but I think hammer has so many other ways that it's being preyed on right now. It's not like jund needs to come back to to fight the tier zero monstrosity. I don't. I mean, I my gut it says no, but. That's one of those ones where I really just feel like I don't have enough experience playing the card. And so, I, you know, you played Jund for kind of longer than I did. And sure. um, I, I don't think it, I mean, I don't know, maybe it fits fine in a Jund, Jund Saga kind of deck. And that's just kind of what it is. But yeah, I mean, speaking of Jund Saga, I am curious if Saga is able to supplant or there's any reason for Saga to kind of become a new Grixis shadow deck because I feel like, I mean, Saga was able to take advantage of Luris certainly, but it definitely was a slightly grindier deck that took advantage of the powerful Urza Saga land. And maybe now it becomes a little bit slower. It still has the aggressive tendencies that the Jun Saga deck can, but like if it's, if it's slower and grindier can use cards like Liliana along with Renin Six and still take advantage of the Urza's Saga land and, and Tarmogoyf and all the kind of totally fine spells. I wouldn't be surprised if we do see an uptick in, in Jun Saga again. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think Saga... The, the most interesting thing to me about Saga in that deck is like it can't cast any of the spells in Jun. Like, there's only a few, a few spells in the deck that even have colorless pips in them and so it really is value engine and about getting the getting your shadow spear basically or a spell bomb if that's what you really need so i think that it certainly makes the bauble plan worse that's in that deck right now without having luris there to kind of back that up it's a huge knock on the way that that deck is working right now but maybe it could still go i don't know you don't think you don't think drc is enough in unholy heat to, I think to it's warrant a, running bauble I think it's enough. I just, it, you know, that's part of the reason that that deck was 
it was how it was able to convert Saga into a card advantage engine. If you didn't have Bobble, you could go get a Bobble and then go to town and draw extra cards and things like that. And so I just don't know how much of a knock that's going to be on that plan. Certainly, I think, you know, if Bobble in Murktide with DRC and Unholy Heat is enough, then I think it's the same in, in Saga without Luris too at this point. I just don't know if that'll be good or well positioned right now. But, you know, with that deck being able to cast higher mana cost spells, that's a that's probably a backward pressure on wanting to have Saga in your deck since you're going to lose a land drop if you do that. So I, I feel like that's a, that's a little bit of a tension within that shell as it exists right now. What about Bob? <laughs> yep. Richard Dreyfus is great in that. I agree. I, my point, though, that, you know, Bob being another card advantage tool that maybe actually makes your bobbles and sagas a little better because you're drawing them more frequently and can also make up for the card advantage loss from Luris. Once upon a time, Brennan Six replaced Bob, but perhaps in this particular environment, they can actually coexist. Sticker on your bumper plate. I think it's possible. Yeah, I thought about that, Stan, when I read in your notes, Bob, and I was like, well, if, if, if curves are going a little bit higher, does that make Bob just a little bit worse? But, you know, maybe... A very slightly higher average CMC is not really going to make the big difference here. Yeah, and not all decks want to have a higher curve. Like, Modern wasn't a three CMC format before. It just had certain good cards that were worth playing above Goyf mana, basically. Right. And, and right, that was like Bellum Reveler and Stormwing and, and Bloodbraid and Karns. And that's what we're hoping we get back to. Perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah, so overall, Tybo on this, are you all, how how hopeful are you for the future of modern, uh, the immediate post-Luris era? Do you think that'll be like just a time of great experimentation, or do you think it's going to be not as different as people might expect? Oh, I mean, next week is going to be amazing. Like, the league dumps are just going to be a fountain of inspiration and experimentation. I expect to see spirits. I yes. expect to see humans yes five different humans i expect to see so many different things i expect to see adnaz in here for no reason like yes. let's let's go right yeah i i expect to see one siege rhino <laughs> siege rhino i i mean I, I i don't think that that card has a shot but i do expect to see it in this particular dump yeah that's what i'm saying eventually i expect to see five new triomes oh man we didn't yeah, get to talk well, about we'll talk that, about that we? more in depth oh, man well, as long as we mentioned triomes are coming yeah, they have the worst names though, but yeah. Xander's Paradise. Bob's Boxing Ring, aka, I don't know, like John Triom, who knows? The Banana Stand. All right. Well, this was a fun one, but that does wrap up this week's show. Once again, proving to us and the listeners that we don't need a weekend of prep. We can just do it hastily between meetings and emails on a Monday afternoon. For everyone else out there, if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast, reach out in general, you can tweet us at the dive down all one word, or email the dive down at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash the dive down. You can also support us while playing magic with a mana trader subscription. If you sign up for Mana Traders with promo code THEDIVEDOWN2022, you'll get 15% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. You'll also get 
a great service that's going to help you experiment in this brave new world of modern that we get to look forward to this month. And we get a little kickback as well. If you want to support us while shaving or using soap, use the same promo code, the Dive Down 2022, over at Barrister and Man and get 15% off your first order from Barrister and Man. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Space Blood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and innovate, 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 innovate.